there are some things that are referred to as core doctrine or core practices in the church. And then uh, these things are sometimes, maybe you've heard it, they're called essentials. Essentials to be the church, essentials to be the body of Christ. And there are, of course, some things that are referred to as non-essential, right? Things that are not core doctrine, things that are not core practice to be the church, right? And so a simple example of this would be the order of service, right? There's not some specific formula we got to input for the order of service in order to be the church, in order to be the body of Christ, such as today, we had to adjust some things a little bit. The order of service is of no importance, really, when it comes to being the body of Christ. There are some things that are, of course, as I mentioned, core practices and core doctrines, things that are sometimes referred to as non-negotiables. Now, one core doctrine that is absolutely essential, and I'm going to be quite blunt with you, is the divinity of Jesus. If you do not believe in the divinity of Jesus, if you do not believe that Jesus is God, you are not Christian. This is one of the core doctrines, this is one of the core practice, or one of the core beliefs of Christianity that make us distinctly Christian. Now, all this being said, uh, to to believe this doesn't mean that we're going to fully understand how that is. Right? So when I, when I say that this is one of the core doctrines, this is a must as a Christian, I'm not saying that you're going to fully understand God in his fullness. We're going to have this idea, we can, we can know, we can believe that Jesus is both man and God, but not fully understand how that works. Right? So when I say believing in the divinity of Jesus is absolutely necessary, I'm not saying you've got to fully understand how God operates. I'm not saying that, but it is an absolute necessity. It is a core doctrine. And here's the thing. Lack of understanding, lack of understanding is not really a good reason to disbelieve. Think about this just as an example. Imagine a surgeon uh, says that they need to perform some sort of procedure on you in order to save your life. So they explain this procedure to you, but you don't obviously understand the procedure because that, that's not the language that you know. You, don't, you haven't studied procedures. You're not a surgeon. So just because you don't understand the procedure, are you going to not believe the surgeon that they can perform the procedure in order to save your life? Of course not. You're, you're going to believe them. You're going to believe the surgeon because they know so much more than you do. Lack of understanding really isn't a good reason to dis believe. So Jesus being man, being God, we may not fully understand that how he operates in his humanity and in his divinity, but it's a necessity. It's a necessary belief in order to be Christian, as we're going to see in John chapter 8. John chapter 8, starting with verse 21. Again, Jesus, he's talking to teachers of the law. He's talking to Pharisees. He's talking to the Jews. John chapter 8, verse 21, he said to them again, I'm going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. Right, so when we read Scripture, when we consider the, the Pharisees, the Jews, and how they, they don't really get it, so they don't get what Jesus is telling them, what he's teaching them, we, we kind of, it's easy for us to criticize them. Like, hey, why, why aren't you getting it? Why don't you go to where Jesus is going? Why don't you come to faith in Jesus? It's easy for us to say that, but in this verse, verse 21, that we are going to die in our sin and we can't go where he's coming, that is our state before coming to faith in Jesus. Right? Without what Jesus did, 
about what he accomplished on the cross, that's us. And I know it's easy to criticize these Pharisees, these teachers of the law, but that is us before coming to faith in Jesus. We are dead in sin. And with our passage from last week in mind, Jesus being the light of the world, right before following Jesus, we are in darkness. So keeping that in mind, this, this theme of light and darkness, if we are dead in our sin, we are dwelling in darkness. And then eventually, what we saw in Revelation chapter 21, God's new creation, how there's light, there's no darkness, because light casts out darkness, right? So if we're not dwelling in light, if we're not walking in the light, if we don't have faith in Christ, we are in darkness, and we cannot dwell in the light. We are dead in sin. Skip to verse 23. He said to them, You are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. This verse here is kind of interesting. The word there for below and the word there for above, those two words, below and above, they're plural in the Greek. So literally translated, it would be something like, You are from the belows, I am from the aboves. Which is kind of weird to say, but I think what Jesus is getting at here is that, hey, you speak from a limited perspective. You're from the earth. You have a worldly mindset. You have worldly knowledge. What you claim to know about the aboves is bound to your below perspective. Right? So just by nature of being from the belows, by nature of being worldly, we cannot pr- propose to know all there is to know about the aboves. We have such a limited picture of the heavens, that's really what the aboves are. Based on our worldly knowledge, we are limited in our understanding. Verse 24, this is probably the key verse of this whole passage. Jesus says, I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Now, I'm not a huge fan of the ESV translation in this instance, because literally translated, it should say, for unless you believe that I am you will die in your sins. Unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. Jesus is very clear with what he's trying to communicate here. I am. He's claiming the divine name. Unless you believe that I am, unless you believe that I am God, you will die in your sins. See, this is why Jesus himself says, unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. See, belief in Jesus' divinity is a necessity when it comes to faith. We're not Christian if we don't believe that Jesus is indeed God. Exodus 3, right. God appears to Moses in the burning bush, the bush that wasn't really burning up, and God asks Moses to go to Egypt so that God can free his people through Moses. Moses says, hey God, um, if I do this, if I go to them, what, what do I tell them? What do I tell your people that you are called? In Exodus 3, Exodus 3, verse 14, this is what God says. Exodus 3, 14 says, God says to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, that I am has sent me to you. Now, just a little quick fact for those who are Bible nerds. In the Greek translation of the Hebrew, or actually, no, first the Hebrew translation of Exodus 14, the Hebrew word that God uses as I am is eh, yeh. Right? And then God, in verse 15 of Exodus 3, tells him, tells Moses to tell them that I am Yahweh. 
Ehyeh is God saying, I am, but of course Moses is not going to go to them and tell them, hey, I am sent you, sent me to you. He's going to tell them, he is. That's what Yahweh means. He is. He will be. But in the Greek translation of the Hebrew, which is the Septuagint, you probably heard that word thrown around before. In the Greek translation of Exodus 3.14, guess what? That, th- those words translated, we translated as I am is the same in the Greek as it is in John chapter 8, 24. Ego eimi, that's the, Greek trans- that's the Greek translation of the Hebrew in Exodus 3.14, and Jesus says that explicitly in John chapter 8, verse 24. Ego eimi, I am. See, Jesus, he's very clear. He's very clear about what he is claiming here. There's no confusion. He's claiming the divine name. He's claiming to be God. I am. Maybe this is kind of like John chapter 5. We already get a sense of this. John chapter 5, verse 26. For as the Father has life in himself, so he's granted the Son also to have life in himself. Remember, we talked about this a few weeks ago, the idea of having life in oneself is really to say that I have self-sufficient life. My life is not dependent on anyone or anything. That's what it's being said here about God. And so God, he has, God the Father, he has self-sufficient life. He has life in himself. And then he grants the Son to have self-sufficient life, life in himself. How does that work, right? How does someone grant self-sufficient life? And again, if you remember, this is what we talked about. There's this theology called um, uh, Jesus being eternally begotten. There never was a time when the Father was not, and there never was a time when the Son was not. He's eternally begotten from the Father. And I know, again, we are from the belows, right? We are from the earth. We we can say that. We can say, yeah, Jesus, he's eternally from the Father. He wasn't created by the Father. He is God. We can say that we can understand those words. But again, when we believe in the divinity of Jesus, it does not mean we're going to fully understand how his humanity and how his divinity work. And as for what he says in John chapter 8, verse 24, I am, ego me, I am. Jesus most certainly would have been aware of the Greek translation of the Hebrew. They had it. So would the Pharisees. The Jews would have been aware of the Septuagint. They knew what it said. And they most certainly would have known what Jesus was saying here. Jesus makes it clear. He's claiming the divine name. And unless we believe that he is I am, unless we believe that he is God, we will die in our sins, positively put, by believing that he is I am. By believing that he is God, we have life. Again, noticing Jesus, he doesn't say, by fully understanding my humanity and divinity, you'll have life. No. He says, by believing that I am. Well, if you don't believe that I am, you die in your sins. It's not about fully understanding that it's about believing it. John chapter 8, verse 25. So they said to him, who are you? Jesus said to them, just what I have been telling you from the beginning and I guess we're not really surprised by the response. I like to think, and I think they have a tendency, the Pharisees, the Jews, I think they have a tendency just to play ignorance, to act like they don't know what Jesus is claiming here. They knew what he was claiming. We know this. They, in John chapter 5, I believe, or John chapter 6, 
I should have wrote this down. Ah, <laughs> uh, no. This is, why you, this is why you don't go to stuff that you have, don't have in your notes here. There it is, John chapter 5, I was right. John chapter 5, verse 18. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. They knew. Right? They know this. They know what Jesus is claiming. He's claiming to be equal with God. In other words, God. By claiming the divine name, Jesus is claiming to be God. They know this, so why do they say, who are you? I think they're just being ignorant. And then, of course, Jesus, he says, what I've been telling you from the beginning. Now, some scholars, some translators think that, well, it actually is. It poses a question in the Greek. It has uh, the punctuation for being a question. And so some people think it could be translated as, why am I even talking to you in the first place? Which would make sense based on the, con on the context, right? Jesus, he's been going over and over and over again, telling them about who he is. But taking this verse at face value, Jesus saying, uh, from what, I've, uh, what I'm telling you from the beginning. Now think about this. What has Jesus been telling them? What has he been telling you? I, I'm the light of the world. I'm bread. I'm the living water. I'm the son of man. I'm the son of God. I am the Messiah. He's been clear with them. Yeah, we have the, we have the benefit of hindsight, but he has been clear, claiming really most of these titles explicitly. And he continues in verse 26. He tells them, I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world what I have heard from him. He's got a lot to say. He's got a lot of judge about them, but that's not his primary concern. Jesus is primarily concerned about proclaiming the will of the Father. Well, what is that will? What's the Father's will? We're going to see that through the Gospel of John. Right? The, the narrative of Jesus. Right? His death, his life, death, his resurrection. The will of God. They're confused, verse 27. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. And then Jesus replies. He tries to help them out. So Jesus said to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing of my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And Jesus says, don't worry. You know, when, when, you, when you lift me up, you will know that I am. There's that divine name again. Twice in this passage, Jesus claims the divine name. Another interesting word here is the term for lift up. It can literally be translated as lift up. And think about this. Jesus being lifted up on the cross, he's literally lifted up. But this word can also mean exalt. And so two things we see with Jesus on the cross. He's literally lifted up, but on the cross, he's exalted as Savior. Verse 29, Jesus says, and he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. God the Father is with Jesus. Why? He makes it clear. Because I always do the things that are pleasing to God the Father. He always does the things that are pleasing to God the Father. That ain't us. Does that describe us? Do we always do the things that are pleasing to God the Father? No. Right? On the contrary, we are sinners. We were once in darkness. Maybe some still here are in darkness. We're in darkness. Before believing in Jesus, which entails believing that he is God, we are dead in sin. And unless we believe that Jesus is I am, we are utterly hopeless. Verse 30. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. This is always my hope. 
as we read the words of Christ himself, that people will believe. And maybe some of you in here are struggling with your belief. Maybe you are lacking in belief. And by reading the words, hearing the words of Christ himself in Scripture, that your belief, your faith would grow strong. And as I already said, when it comes to belief, it doesn't mean you're going to fully understand. When it comes to believing in Jesus' divinity, how, how he's man and how he is God, it does not mean you'll fully understand that. You don't have to put that weight on yourself. You don't have to put the weight on, oh, I've got I to get everything figured out in here first. I've got to have a full comprehension of the aboves. I have to have a full comprehension of the heavens before I put my faith in Jesus. No! By believing in Jesus, by believing that He is I Am, we have life. Believe that He is, if you have not already, you can put your faith in Him in baptism as we stand and sing.